Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. All right, welcome to this week's episode of Fixing Your Agile Coaching. I am professional scrum trainer, Ryan Ripley. Joining me today, um, Esther Derby. Esther, how are you doing today? I'm great, thanks for having me. And of course, the audience uh, is very familiar with Esther. Um, the retrospectives book, of course, comes immediately to mind. Um, definitely taught a generation of Agile coaches how to run an effective retro. More recently, Seven Rules for Positive Productive Change. Awesome book. If you are, well, look, if you're a scrum master, you're a change agent. If you're a Agile coach and Agile coach, you're a change agent. If you don't have this book on your shelf, run out and get it sold at Amazon and other fine book places, it's essential. And actually, Esther, I think we're just going to get right into that, if sure. you don't mind. Why is change? This is like at the at the crux of when I'm in that scrum master slash agile coaching stance. My One of my biggest frustrations working in, organ, in orgs or even on my own stuff is why is change, uh, why is it so hard to change or to get good effective change? Well, I think one of the big reasons is that people uh, think about change as we add a new process or we train a set of skills and then suddenly everything in our organization will be different. You know, if we right. just, you know, if we just like have standouts and iterate, but what they fail to take account of is all the things that hold the current pattern in place. So all of the processes, all of the policies, all of the traditions, all of the ways of thinking, all of the rewards mm. that were built up over time that keep the current pattern in place. If you don't address those, you know, you're just you're just kind of papering something on over the top. So if you say you want collaboration, but everybody's rated individually, you know, it's going to be hard to get collaboration. So that's one of the things that holds the current pattern in place, you know individual reviews, the way job descriptions are written, all of that stuff. And it's it's not what people think of first. They think of let's roll out a new process. Yeah, how, how, how have you seen that? Oh, I, I exactly how you've explained, yeah. except before your book, I never had the right words for it. 
Like, mm. and, and so I, you know, I was one of those fortunate people that got to see, I think a pretty early edition or maybe just right before publication. But I, I remember, you know, going through the book thinking, finally, I've got a, a vocabulary here and oh, I kind that's, of, that's great. I, uh, well, and because you, we make these observations and really what, what I think at the core of it, it's like this systems thinking, which mm -hmm. I've, I've not spent enough time there. Right. And I know that, that Jerry Weinberg had some great books in this space um, or had, there are some great books from him in this space. Mm -hmm. I think your book actually fits in this space very nicely as well, because it, mm -hmm. it really highlights the systems beneath. I just started looking at it as what are all the tethers that are yeah. holding the, the, the old stuff in place? And when you start digging, you know, what, what your book really helped me see was it's like, oh, that financial incentive, like the bonus structure that mm -hmm. rewards one section of a website, but not the other. Mm -hmm. So that's why we can't get anything released because these two product owners are arguing over who gets the bigger bonus because they won't let the other person release. And, and it, it's like, well, wait a minute, if we just cut out the bonus and reward everybody for the overall website success, well, suddenly we got rid of one of those tethers yeah. that was holding in one of those bad practices and it had nothing to do with scrum. It had nothing to do nothing with an agile framework. It wasn't an agile framework that was met. It wasn't Kanban. I mean, we'll, we'll spread it out a bit. It wasn't Scrum. It wasn't Kanban. It wasn't XP. It was some weird thing that built up over years that no one realized the consequence of. Yeah. Right? So, so rewards and, and incentives and bonus goals and all those things drive patterns of behavior. And if you don't look at them and figure out, you know, well, what, what are the, what are the, it, it ripples this has throughout our organization they're going to keep exerting that force, right? Those ripples are still there. They're holding the pattern in place. I mean, as I was listening to you talk, I got an image of, uh, of um, when Gulliver in Gulliver's Travels is pinned down by all these you know, <laughs> thousands and thousands of little ropes and they're keeping him in that place. And of course, you know, he manages to break free from them, but you're, it's all those little things that hold it, keep it locked down and hold it in place. And we have to think about those. And I, I think one of the other things that gets in the way is that people expect, um, you know, expect things to happen quickly. Whereas if you're unraveling a lot of those things that hold the current pattern in place, a lot of them take, you know, years to change. Right. So you have to be able to break it down into smaller pieces. Like you can't just reduce cycle time by lopping something off. You have to look at all the contributors to a long cycle time and then systematically work on them. Right. And that will help you unravel things. And I, I, that's something that um, is not often considered in in agile transformations, for example, where it's just, you know, right. we roll out the process, we train people and very often the training's great, but it's not sufficient. You have to also look at the underlying system. Yeah. It's almost like there's this gravity that just keeps pulling sure. that training sure. back into the old words. And, sure. you know, it, and it's one of those things that like, if I'm in, and again, I'm always hesitant to say that I'm an agile coach. I really prefer I'm going to say Scrum Master. I hope people will translate that. Um, but when I'm when I'm in, let's say let's say I'm in a role where I've been asked to work on a system. Maybe mm -hmm. that's a good way to say it. I always try to start with and and Esther. I don't think we've ever talked about this, so maybe this will be some good coaching for me, right? Maybe I'm I'm getting a, a side benefit here. I've, I always start with what is difficult about delivery and try to work backwards. So if I'm talking to a team, why can't we ship? 
and they usually have a thousand things going on, right? It's, right. well, the, we've got three teams over here that we rely on and the build server's 10 years old and, and leadership has put in place 10 phase gates. And so you get all that stuff up there. And then I, I basically with the team, we start, what's the most, what's the biggest you know, thing that holds us back? And we attack that. And then, of course, when you get, when you tackle your biggest problem, what happens? Number two the takes the number one, one graduates. Spot. Yes. Uh, so another another Weinberg principle, <laughs> and uh, the next one graduates. Uh, isn't, isn't it Rudy's Rugabega? I, I can't. I don't remember which rules, one. But yeah. But, but yeah. So so you you are exactly looking at all of those tethers, all the things that hold the current system in place. But right? even then, and I feel like I've only hit a surface. Right. It's like the obvious stuff to a team, but there's probably another layer. And oh, but I, certainly. But but if you start with the obvious stuff, you're right. beginning to to model to people how you can think about this stuff and how they can learn to make changes, right? So it, it no longer has to be this externally imposed process. It's like we can look at our own stuff and say what's holding us back and what can we work on. And it doesn't have to be the biggest thing. Sometimes starting with the smallest thing, you know, that right. so you can you can actually succeed at something, is an equally legitimate place to start. Right? Oh, sure. What's the easiest thing we could do that'll make it a little bit better? I think that's you know that's a totally valid thing to do. Yeah, it, it, what what I've found too is, <clears throat> and, and maybe you've seen this too, like uh, when when Todd and I will go into you know, a company and they want to adopt Scrum or they, they want to use Kanban or they, mm -hmm. we actually ask to see their architecture for their product, typically a software product. And it's usually a mess. And so we're kind of looking at that. I see that as kind of a, a system in and of itself where, where, where we basically say, look, I mean, you could hire the big box consultancy and spend tens of millions of dollars. But if you would put a few million into the architecture of your of your system, you would probably not have to do as much transformation. Like your architecture is actually dictating the way you're working. Yeah, well, yeah. And and that's one of those things that holds people back. Yeah. So so I think that's sometimes a great place to start is let's just make our code more changeable. Right. Because right? a lot of code is not particularly changeable. I mean, I think about so I think about this analogy of um, like, I don't know when you did you have roommates when you were in college, live in an apartment with roommates? I did. I, yeah. So I lived in this apartment with roommates at one point and um, I it seemed like I was the only one who ever did dishes. <laughs> and, and sound familiar? Um, A little bit. <laughs> but you know but it, it, so so here's the analogy you know if you um if you don't clean up after if you don't clean the kitchen after every meal at a certain point you have pots and pans and dirty dishes stacked in the sink and over the counter and it gets to a point where if you even want to boil an egg it means you have to dig through all these dishes move them to another place clear some room find a pan wash the pan you know go through all of this rigmarole just to boil an egg and that's, that's what a lot of code bases are like, right? Yeah. They're like, nobody has cleaned up the kitchen after the, after, uh, you know, 200 meals. And so getting even the simplest thing done is very labor intensive and very complicated and, you know, involves all sorts of, you know, little tendrils into the code that can cause some other risks. So yeah, I mean, that's a reasonable place to start. 
just another place is if you can just reduce the number of, of errors so you can reduce fixing domain demand, you know, that can help. Right. So it doesn't, you don't have to start with some, Oh, we want to go agile. You can just start making stuff better, making stuff right. work better. Yeah. And I, and I like how that pairs back with one of your earlier comments that this takes a lot of time. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, something that, that we yeah. try to talk to with, with a lot of our clients is we'll, we'll, we'll ask a question of how long has your company been operating mm -hmm. and say, Oh, and they're, they're very proud of this. We're like, Oh, it's been 150 years. It's got a great history and we've been around. So do you th really think we're going to fundamentally change you in six months? And they're like, Oh, mm -hmm. huh. Well, when you put it that way, well, the other thing people don't think about is what do, what do they want to what do they want to retain? What do they want to save and keep? I think and that's, that's awesome. Particularly true in companies that have been around a long time, because yeah. very often people have a lot of pride in that history. They have a set of values, you know, and clearly they've been doing something right. So you have to think about what do you want to save, right? You know, I, I've never. I don't think I've thought about that before. What are they? And that's probably a great way to to kind of lead that conversation. If they're already mm -hmm. hesitant about change, if you remind them of, you know, what I what I felt as a, and maybe we'll talk about this in a different show, but whether I'm in a, a middle manager executive position and these you know consultants would come in, you know, you almost felt kind of attacked, like oh everything's awful and you know, yeah. I but I think leading with, you no, know, there's some things to be proud of. What do you want to keep? I think that's a great way to kind of lower the shields a bit and get people kind of on board with, well, we're not, we're not all bad. There's some things we're going to keep going forward. And yeah. I, I like that a lot. And nobody likes to have some outsider come in and tell them they've, they're screwed up and they're doing things wrong. Nobody likes that. Yeah. You know, even if, even when you invite some help in, then you still don't want to be told you, you're, you know, you're being foolish. You want, you know, some information, but you don't want it at the expense of, you know, feeling, you know, some sense of you know, self-respect and status. So I think, I think honoring what has gone before is super important because the, the it, paradoxically, if you acknowledge it and honor it, it helps people let go. Oh, certainly. Because, because when you attack something that someone has invested in, they hold on. I mean, it's just, it's just human nature and it, you know, it, it may, it may not be great, but it's ours. So don't try to take it away from us. Exactly. So. No, I, I, and you see that, um, over and over with, with that mm -hmm. resistance and, and that resistance makes me think of, I've, I've stolen a quote from you and now I always try to, to credit you. And so I hope this is actually your quote. <laughs> That's always my biggest concern. It's like, all right, did I actually hear this? <laughs> it might be someone else. Who knows? It could be. But I, you know, when it comes to the difficulty of change and when companies uh, engage us to talk about that, yeah. um, I, th I think this is something you once uh, said in a keynote or we were talking, I don't remember where, but it's not really the change they're resisting. It's the coercion. Yeah. Right? It, it, like I, it, a lot of people have said that. I'm one of them. But um, I want to I want to uh, talk about the resistance word. Yeah. Okay. Because I think, uh, you know, when, when, when people start talking about resistance, what do you do when someone's resisting you? You push them, right? You yeah. push back or you try to figure out ways to get people to move. And I, I think it's in some ways more useful to talk about how people are responding to change. 
because it's usually full of information, right? So we're going to change the word resist to respond. Okay. Is that where, is that? Well, uh, so do an experiment and see how hard it is to change your using that word. (laughs) Oh, very fair. That language (laughs) usually, yeah. No, that Uh, totally makes sense. That word will, (laughs) that word will cause problems, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's whole change methodologies, some of the traditional change methodologies that they all include a part about a plan to overcome resistance, which once you framed it that way, it becomes oppositional. That makes a lot of sense, right? So you've you've basically said there will be a battle. (laughs) Yeah, and, and we are approaching anyone who raises questions or has concerns as a resistor. And I, I think it's reasonable to have questions and concerns. Absolutely. Right? And and so don't treat that as resistance. It's a response and it's often full of super useful information. Well, I, I think that's a that's an awesome tip. Like that's a it doesn't have to be a battle. In fact, when I've when I'm working with people now, what I've tried to do, and I I'm getting better in my old age. I'm trying to get a little better. Um, when I notice the resistance, I just stop. And I just ask them, what did I just say that that upset you or or that? And I try to say it a little better than that. But it's like, yeah. I just noticed a shift. Can we talk sure. about that? And it usually like I'm trying to not go down the path of of coercion. I don't want to like have the battle. No. I'd rather just no. I'd rather talk through the the blockers. And and I think coaches that that take the time to do that, you know, along with um, a lot of the other rules in your your book, I think they would do a lot better. You know, the, the changing of words, like you, not using resistance, awesome tip, um, not plowing through the, co- the the resistance, but actually pausing. And I yeah. think uh, because or, we do the same thing, right? If I'm yeah. forced to change something, you it's don't like, like it. yeah, I don't I don't want to eat beets and I'm beets I are being beets. forced. I can't do it, I but they're being beets. forced on me. And no, I, just I wouldn't it. like to be having them be forced on me. But the other thing you said about how you go in and you you ask people what's getting in the way, and then you work on that list. Yeah, that is also a great strategy because then you're doing something that is important to the team you're working with, and they then say he gets us, he yeah. cares about us. You know, like so that. so it's like fixing what's going on rather than saying well you must be doing your standup in this particular way, or you must be, you know, you must, your backlog must be formed in this way. You're actually fixing problems that people care about and making their work life easier, which builds trust. It builds rapport. It builds respect, which makes anything else you try to present to them that might be agile-ish. It makes them more receptive to it. Right? Well, and, and hopefully that's what agile coaches that's our job, right? And hopefully that's what agile coaches are doing. And uh, well, one can hope. <laughs> well, on that, on that high note, <laughs> we do hope. And so we hope well, that, hope. Uh, we hope that these videos are helpful. I highly, highly recommend if you are an agile coach working in today's world, if you have not read Esther's book, seven rules for positive productive change, run out there and get it. Um, I, this is on our must read. We've actually added it to um, all of our recommended book lists uh, for any class mm-hmm. that Todd and I teach, we discuss it and say, go grab this book immediately. Uh, whether you. it's the leadership class, the scrum master class, the advanced scrum master class, this is a book that we put in front of people. Uh, and I think all of you should read it too. Um, Esther, really appreciate you joining us on this episode of Fixing Your Agile Coaching. Lots of great stuff. And 
yeah, hopefully we can get you on for a few more. I'd love to. All right. It's time for the end screen. All right, everybody, check out the socials. Uh, like and subscribe. We've got a lot of great episodes of Fixing Your Agile Coaching, Fixing Your Kanban, Fixing Your Agile Metrics. Maybe some more of your daily scrums will be coming out too. So like and subscribe when you know when they land. Check out the videos below. They just popped up. YouTube thinks you'll like them. We do too. And uh, we hope they're helpful. Uh, for Esther Derby, I am Ryan Ripley wishing you an awesome week. Go out and do some great coaching, fix some problems, build some trust. And hopefully things will just be a little bit better for the next week. We'll see you then. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.